Welcome to the Conceive Baby podcast, where we give you access to leading international fertility experts across all aspects of fertility and preconception health to help you conceive and carry a healthy baby. Here's your host, natural fertility specialist and Conceive Baby founder, Tasha Jennings. Hi and welcome to our Conceive Baby discussion today or tonight as it happens to be here in Melbourne, Australia. Today we're going to be delving into the side of fertility that we really don't talk about, um, the, ty- the side that we tend to really hide behind a brave face. So today we're going to be breaking down some of those walls and hearing a very inspiring uh, personal journey of fertility. But firstly, if you haven't joined us before, my name's Tasha Jennings, founder of Conceive Baby. I'm a naturopath, nutritionist, natural fertility specialist, and author of The Vitamins Guide and The Fertility Diet. And if you are already part of the Conceive Baby community, you would know I am passionate about empowering women and couples to really take control of their fertility through access to qualified, trusted advice and support. And today I'm speaking with someone who shares a similar mission. Jessica Hepburn is one of the leading patient voices on fertility, infertility, and assisted conception. She is author of two books, The Pursuit of Motherhood and 21 Miles, Swimming in Search of the Meaning of Motherhood, which is launching in just a few weeks. In 2016, following her 10-year tenure as the Executive Director of the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith in London, she founded Fertility Fest, which is the world's first arts festival dedicated to fertility, infertility, modern families and the science of making babies. Now, the second edition of the festival will be held at London's Bush Theatre from the 8th to 13th of May, so only a few weeks away. So I appreciate Jessica taking the time out of her busy schedule to speak with us today. Welcome, Jessica. You really are you're achieving amazing things. I mean, Fertility Fest is an achievement in itself. And we were just speaking off air. I hope you don't mind I mentioned, but you have just been made Woman of the Week um, in the in the Stylist magazine, Visible Women series. Yeah, UK magazine. It's a bit overwhelming, really. Um, it's a, like a real honour, a real honour. Yeah, so that's that's in honour of, I guess, the, the 100 years of Vogue, was it, to celebrate women yeah, who are really making a difference? Yeah, that's right. They're doing a campaign where they're choosing a different woman over um, each week of this year because it's the 100-year um, anniversary of women getting the vote in the UK and they're selecting women that they feel are doing work that's sort of changing the world for the better. Um, and it's, you know, it's as I said, it's such an honour to be chosen but also really exciting because it feels like these conversations about fertility and infertility that really started when my first book came out four years ago um, are are, are getting into the mainstream now um, and that's what they need to do. So, yeah, I'm thrilled. Yeah, well, congratulations. There's people like yourself that are really, you know, breaking down the barriers for the next generation um, coming through to hopefully not have the uh, struggles that we have had. So I guess, you know, just start from the start. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Where did it all begin? Yeah. Well, I would say that my um, journey started when I was 34 um, and I had just actually um, taken over running 
the Lyric Hammersmith, the theatre that you you mentioned, I was chief executive of, and yeah. uh, I'd spent yeah. all my twenties, um, you know, pursuing my career, climbing the career ladder, had an amazing job. Um, I'd met the man that I um, wanted to have a family with, and we started trying to conceive them. I, I genuinely thought that it was the the sort of perfect age, and I had done everything right, and I could have it all. Um, after about a year of trying to conceive naturally, um, nothing was happening. And I think that's the first surprise or shock that people get because they, um, uh, you know, think that as soon as you throw away the contraception, you're going to get pregnant because, I mean, we were talking about this off air, weren't we? That that's what yeah. we're told as young people. Um, and there's so much focus as young people on how not to get pregnant. Um, but it wasn't happening. And after about a year, um, we uh, went to a fertility clinic and had a routine round of fertility tests and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility which is a really frustrating diagnosis because of course it isn't a diagnosis no. that the doctor have no idea um what what's going on and everything looks like it's in working order um and that was the start of what became a decade-long struggle to conceive that involved multiple rounds of IVF, 11 rounds of IVF, I think you mentioned, which you know, I know is very much at the extreme end of the spectrum. But um, we had the really you know, sad situation, which is that we did seem to be able to create perfect embryos. I did seem to be able to get pregnant, um, and I had uh, multiple miscarriages and then also an ectopic pregnancy that was discovered very late um, at three months in my abdomen. Um, which was almost a, a life-threatening situation. So, um, but doctors, because we could seem to get pre- pregnant, um, all the doctors we saw, and you know, I went to many fertility clinics in my bid to, um, you know, find, find a solution and and, and find the, the baby and get the baby that I dreamed of. Um, uh, they 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 thought that this was all a very good sign, signs that you know it would eventually happen. But um, 11 rounds of IVF later, still no baby. Yeah, it's such a difficult story. And as we were saying, yeah, off air, that we are, you are assumed that once you throw away the contraception, that pregnancy will be easy. I think we get told through our teens, through our 20s, it's really, you know, obviously a valid message, but still it's a very strong message of how important it is not to get pregnant. So we just assume that, okay, the flip side, Pregnancy should be easy, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And of course, you know, like you kindly shared a bit of your own story with me, and you know, I think that's another thing that like women aren't taught about what's normal and what's not normal in their bodies, or how to protect their reproductive health. Um, and so, you know, you know, then when things aren't working, and certainly if you come to um, trying to conceive in the latter part of your fertility life cycle, which we know is what many women are doing now because there is this focus on going to university, getting on the career ladder uh, in your 20s, but also, you know, certainly in the, you know, in the UK, like many young people in their 20s, they're not able to start families. They can't, they haven't got secure jobs. They can't get on the housing ladder. So, you know, there are all sorts of reasons why people are leaving it later. And, the first, and you know, the average age of first-time motherhood is increasing. Yeah. But 
but alongside that, there's an exponential growth in the number of people who are struggling to conceive. And the majority of people, certainly in the UK, going through IVF are over the age of 35. And what we know is that over the age of 35, your fertility starts to drop massively. Um, and given that, you know, also the success rates around IVF is still only running at around 25% of all cycles being successful, you know, you're, you are taking on a lottery here. And I just think that, that none of those things are really fully understood by young people. And that's something that I really want to change. Because, you know, as a, as a sort of final comment on that, because if you ask, I mean, and we may talk about this in this conversation, I'm doing a lot of work with young people. And if you ask a group of teenage girls whether they want to be parents in the future, 99% of them will say that they do. Um, but we know that the number of women entering their child at their 40s now, childless, is running at 20%, which is double our parents' generation. So there's a disconnect there between what women say they want and what they're getting. And I believe that this is this is due to a whole range of reasons, some societal, but also lack of education. I, I absolutely agree with you. It's societal and education. We are obviously waiting longer as women. You know, we have more education. We are climbing the career ladder. And also, as you said, just, you know, reasons for not being able to afford housing, etc. There are reasons why we're waiting longer. But we're also, if you ask, you know, a 16-year-old if they want to be a mum, then I'm sure they'd say, yeah, sure, I definitely do one day. But they're actually biologically <laughs> prime right now. Um, yeah. But these days, it's not something we would even consider in our prime. Um, been making years and as you said I, I mean I see a, a lot of patients um, I know we we're discussing this off air who uh, prescribe the pill because they have some serious um, hormonal issues around their their cycle and they, they get pain they may have really heavy bleeding and instead of actually dealing with the situation and, and overcoming the hormonal issue they prescribe the pill which they take for, which is, it does work very well. Um, but then, of course, you know, when they get in their 30s, perhaps, you know, around 35, I've seen women, okay, come off the pill. All those symptoms come back again. They have not had any education around their cycle. They've actually never really known a cycle. And some women have even skipped their bleeding throughout this, this time because they were told that was okay with totally unaware of what they're doing to their own fertility. Um, and I know it's, we're talking about my journey as well, and I, I found it really difficult. I was, was quite cross with myself in that I'm a healthcare professional. I was a naturopath at the time. I wasn't specialising in fertility, but I understood the menstrual cycle, understood the textbook cycle, but I personally had no idea what was going on inside my own body. And I thought, if I don't know that, how many other people are out there and obviously yourself in a similar situation? You just assume everyone has babies, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, also that that really reminds me of um, a wonderful woman who's in my festival called Izzy Judd, who is a musician herself and married to um, Harry Judd from the band McFly. Um, and she's written this beautiful book called Dare to Dream about their story. I mean, I really applaud her because, you know, they're in the public eye and they um, are at a very high level. And um, she tells exactly the same story of having very difficult periods as a young woman um, and as a teenager being put on the pill. And then when she and Harry got married and started to conceive, and she was young, you know, she was in her sort of mid to late 20s. Yeah. Um, 
she, you know, she suddenly discovered that it wasn't working and that, that the pill had been masking these other problems. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm, I think there are so many aspects to this and age related fertility is, is one. But yes, absolutely. Sort of understanding about your fertility health, um, as a woman is, is also critical to this picture. Yes, and there is a lack thereof. There's, there's so much education to the latter. So it's great to see, as you said, these people sharing their stories yourself and obviously um, you have other high-profile people sharing their stories. What mm-hmm. really inspired you to share your story? Because as we talked about, a lot of people don't. Um, it is a bit yeah. close, behind closed doors, um, possibly ashamed in some ways. Um, so what made you, inspired you to share your story through your book? Yeah, well, I mean, and, and also we can talk a bit about the shame because I think... Um, I think shame is a really good word to describe what people go through when they they struggle with infertility, and it's one of the one of the reasons why I think people um, are very secretive about um, what what they're going through. And and I have to say, Tasha, I really was for years. I did not tell anybody what I was going through, even my closest family and friends. Yeah. Uh, let, my work colleagues and I would um you know through my multiple cycles of IVF you know I don't know if you know but like you know generally egg collection is very early in the morning in a clinic and you know I would go in have a general anesthetic have my eggs collected and I would be back at my desk at work you know within a couple of hours and no one knew what I had just been through Mm -hmm. um so I, I was really secretive and uh things started to sort of really shift for me around 40. Um, 40 was a really uh, significant sort of moment. I, I think it is for many women because it's that, it's it, you know, the cusp of going from your 30s where you still feel almost young to your 40s. Um, it's particularly in terms of sort of your, um, you know, reproduction um, was it, you know, it was very significant for me. And it also coincided with me just around about that time going through my ectopic pregnancy and then a, a miscarriage. Um, and, you know, I started writing about what I was going through initially also in secret, you know, um, it was very much to begin with a therapeutic process. Um, and I also thought, I genuinely thought I was going to write myself to a happy ending because if anyone reads my first book or, or even now reads my second book, which is just about to come out, as you said, um, you, 43 was always a really sort of important number for me. I had, um, I, I went out with a friend who said to me, Jessica, it's all about the number 43. If you don't get pregnant by the time you're 43, then you can just go on and get on with the rest of your life. So, so I'd always had this number of 43, which of course is when, um, you know, the IBS success rates, whenever they're published, they always drop through the floor at 43 to, you know, one or two percent success. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to carry on this journey until I'm 43. And I started writing around about 40 and thought I was going to write this book to, to a miracle happy ending. And, and in fact, that didn't happen. The book sort of ends not, you know, on a cliffhanger in a way, in the sense that the journey isn't over, but there isn't a miracle baby at that point. Um, and, and then I had a big decision once I'd written the book about what to do with it. And, you know, I, I had also discovered this love of writing. Um, and I was really conscious at the time there wasn't 
um, there wasn't enough literature around uh, this in the sort of wider world. And I was sort of in a way writing the book I wanted to read. Um, and I, I thought, and I thought, well, I, I, I wanted people to read it. I, I guess I, um, you know, I think anyone who loves writing discovers a love of writing, as I did, you know, surprisingly through this, you know, ultimately wants to be read as well. So I then had this big decision about whether I was going to publish it as myself or publish it anonymously. Um, and my, editor who's now my agent um said to me she did a google search i was going to call myself jessica harper um which harper was my grandmother's maiden name yeah. and, she, and she did this google search and she said there's a jessica harper that's defrauded lloyd's bank which is a big bank in the uk of, of, a, of a million pounds i don't think you should call yourself jessica <laughs> but, but so, google yeah so so and that was a really seminal moment because i just thought right okay, I'm going to be Jessica Hepburn. And the, uh, and the other thing I, I realised at that point is that I've always had a bit of a campaigning spirit in me. Um, and I wanted, there are things that I wanted to change about the world of fertility. You know, at the time, there were some very particular things about, um, you know, and, and, and still are about the environment of fertility clinics, the emotional care. You know, there's so much focus on clinical treatment and not enough focus, I believe, around what you're going through psychologically as a, as a fertility patient. Mm. I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to be a voice, a, a sort of authentic voice, if I was like not me. So I, I didn't, I decided to publish it as me. And, and that was like the, it changed my life, I guess, like four years later, that was four years ago that the book came out and here I am now, you know, like, like you say, Women of the Week in Stylist magazine. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's been an, an incredible journey. That wouldn't have happened four years ago. That wouldn't have happened. Yeah. No way. It's sort of, you've almost fallen into this career path in a way. It's chosen oh. you rather than the other way around. Oh, it's chosen me. It's chosen yeah. me. And of course, you know, I, I would take the family hands down that I haven't got. Yeah. But I do have a sort of philosophy that you have to take the bad stuff in your life. And this is, this is something that I really explore in my second book. You know, like you have to take the bad stuff in your life and turn it into good stuff. And we all have bad stuff. And my bad thing is that I went through 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF and haven't been able to have a biological baby with the man that I love. But, um, and, and, and I'm never going to get over that. You know, it's, I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. But it doesn't mean that for this tiny amount of time that I'm in this wonderful world that I can't, um, have other amazing experiences and also try and create a different sort of legacy. And obviously for me, it's about helping more people to have the families that they want to have. Because I, you know, I think, I think this is a human desire to have a family. That's and I want to have that. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations on, on, on achieving that and what you've, you've done for other people because you really are affecting change, which is what we spoke about is what we both really want, um, affecting more change, more education uh, for people who are around their fertility cycle because, as you said, you know, 11 rounds of IVF, we are we do see that as the magic bullet, I think. People think, okay, my fertility is getting, I'm, I'm getting older, my fertility, I know it declines, I think, but there's always IVF. 
And I think that's seen as, as, as we spoke about the statistics on that, it's not the magic bullet that is, you know, the people are led to believe. Um, so it was not something that you can rely on. Okay, if I can't get conceived naturally, then I'll just go through IVF. And obviously um, your testament to that as well. And it, it's just heartbreaking. As you said, the emotional support is not there as much. I, I you know, obviously don't know comparatively to the UK, but but Australia here as well, it, it is focused on the, the clinical side of it and it, it generally is. Okay, we'll just try again. We'll try again. And yeah. That takes a toll. It does. And I, I think one of the things I really want to stress is that I am not against IVF because IVF is a miracle science. Um, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of IVF this year. It was invented in the UK by Robert Edwards and Patrick Stepto. It's, you know, like when, when, we, when we think about, I mean, the history of this technology is extraordinary um, yeah. because, you know, they were denigrated when they, when they invented it. And, of course, now over 6 million babies have been born worldwide. So I think it's really important you know, I always want to say that IVF is an extraordinarily wonderful thing yes. and it gives many people the families they dream of. But I think it's really also important that people understand the realities of going through IVF. Initially, you know, the, the first thing, exactly as you said, people, there's a tendency to believe that it's a magic bullet. Yeah. Um, I, I, when you said that, I just thought I was, imagine, I was remembering that I was in the hairdresser's a couple of months ago, my lovely hairdresser, you know, who's in her mid-30s and she's in a nice relationship um, and uh, we were talking about babies and she, she said, oh, and I said, you know, you need to think about it because <laughs> I, 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 I do sort of, I, I, don't want to, I don't want anyone to do what they don't want to do, but I just want to highlight to people that if you do want a family and you're in your mid-30s, it's worth thinking about it. Um, and so she said, yeah, but, you know, like I can always do IVF. I can always do IVF. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my heart sinks because, it, you know, as I, I said earlier in this interview, certainly in the UK at the moment, and really the statistics are roughly the same worldwide. Mm -hmm. We're running at 75% of each cycle failing. So only 25% of cycles work. I mean, that's just one thing that everybody needs to know. And what that means is that generally, you know, you need to go through several cycles um, before you receive have success. So you may be one of the few lucky ones that gets pregnant first time. And you may be one of the really unlucky ones like me that goes through 11 cycles and, and is unsuccessful. And that is equally rare. You know, like what I have been through, given that I, I did, that I had unexplained infertility, I created perfect embryos. My situation is very, very rare. But most people are somewhere around about the middle. You know, they're somewhere between three and five cycles and certainly if you're prepared to consider things like egg donation or even surrogacy you know the chances of having a baby through one of these technologies you know can be quite high but you're often on that journey for a long time it costs a lot of money and the emotional impact of it I think people are just not prepared or supported with
Absolutely. And again, it comes back to the education, you know. IVF is absolutely amazing. I work with some, you know, wonderful IVF specialists who are achieving amazing things, but it is almost too amazing. We see all these stories all over the headlines. We see the amazing effects that IVF is having, you know, the baby born in their 40s, that it is just assumed, as you, exactly as your hairdresser said, is what I hear, is, you know, there's always IVF and it's pretty much a word I can't conceive. It doesn't matter. There's always IVF. And, and the reality is, IVF was meant to treat a specific type of infertility. It's not the magic bullet for everybody. So I think there's just, again, it's just the awareness and the education. As you said, there's a lot of other options. I know on, the, on this um, podcast and webinar series, we've discussed egg donation, surrogacy, egg freezing. We've discussed all of the options. But by the time you get to that point, as you said, you may have been through so much emotionally, years, the, the aging. It, it's, it really is such a, a process that by the time you are educated on these other options, it's exhausting. And it'd be, yeah. it, it could speed that up and fast track that process a little by, by getting this kind of information out to people who yeah. need it when they need it. And I think that, that is really critical because I think if you can have these sorts of conversations earlier on, then you can be prepared yeah. um, you know, for what might happen or you can plan, you know, that, uh, um, that you – you might say, you might decide. I mean, I think egg freezing, I mean, you say you've discussed it on the, the webinar um, previously. You know, I mean, like the, the thing we know about egg freezing is, A, the technology is very, very new. You know, we've been freezing embryos um, and uh, for, for quite a long time, but we haven't been freezing eggs for as long. Mm. And eggs are much more fragile than embryos. Um, so, you know, like, A, I think people don't understand that. And then the second thing is that, like, the majority, there's been a huge increase in egg freezing, um, but the majority of people uh, freezing eggs at the moment are in their late 30s. And generally it's because they haven't, they're not in a situation, often they haven't met the right partner to have a baby with. Um, and what we know is that post 35, your fertility is declining massively. So, so you've got a situation where this technology is, which is an extraordinary technology, and maybe the future, it may be the future. I mean, I was at a brilliant um, talk um, by the, the, a fertility um, professional was talking out that said, you know, actually, if egg freezing could become really contra um, really cost-effective, you know, almost like contraception, you know, the cost of things like contraception, you know, which are now very low, yeah. and, and really, you know, reasonable, and you could do it in your early 20s. Um, and obviously, we would need to, I don't know what the situation is in Australia, but we would need to have a law change over here, because at the moment, if you are freezing your eggs for social reasons, i.e. not because you've got cancer and you're doing it because you're about to undergo chemotherapy, um, that's, a, that's a different matter in the UK. But if you're freezing your eggs for social reasons, because you want to preserve your fertility, um, because of your lifestyle, uh, you can only keep those eggs uh, on ice for 10 years. So at the moment, there's a, and again, these are the sort of conversations we need to have because the, the egg freezing might be, um, uh, you know, a possibility for women in the future to have everything. But at the moment, it looks like, you know, unless there's a change in our biology, the ideal would be to be freezing your eggs in your early 20s, to be keeping them for longer than 10 years, because you might not be ready in 10 years. And, and also, to, to recognize that 
the, the science probably is not going to change in our lifetime to ensure 100% success. We're probably still going to be running. Uh, you know, if we're lucky, you know, I think if you're under 35, the success rates is 30 to 35%. I mean, I, I feel really... I feel really bad quoting all these statistics because, you know, statistics sticks, you know, like what, but I just spend so much time with fertility experts these days. But I suppose that, you know, the, the just the important thing to say is that, you know, it's, it, it, it's not, there's probably in none of our lifetimes will we create a science that is a hundred percent going to guarantee you a baby. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that's one of the, you know, things that I've really come to terms with. And again, in, you know, in my book, it's about me sort of, you know, having a conversation with nature because ultimately nature is in control of this. You know, no doctor, no, it doesn't matter how hard you work at it, how much money you give it, you know, there is something beyond you that's out of your control. But um, so I just, yeah, I think um, that all these conversations need to be had in more you know um useful ways for the world yes absolutely and that's what it comes down to there's so many conversations to be had around as you said the egg freezing the science is just amazing and i did one on egg donation as well and all the legalities around that and also the the legislation as you said there is so much to understand that you if you were in that world if you're struggling to fall pregnant then you are faced with all of these new technologies new science new legislations it's it's extremely overwhelming so i think you know this is why i think things like fertility fest which is um, what you have brought to us are such a wonderful way to have these conversations. But yeah. in, in a, I wouldn't say celebration, but it's it leading towards that. It's a, it's a much nicer way to have these conversations. So yeah. what, what made you develop Fertility Fest and, and come up with the, I guess, uh, the, the conception of it? Well, I, I, do you know, I love the way that you called it a celebration and then you were like sort of tentative because, because it is a strange title in a way, you know, and because we are, we, you know, it, we called it fertility fest and it sounds like it's some sort of party, you know, <laughs> and yet, and yet actually a lot of, um, you know, the core audience are people who, are struggling to conceive or, or going on a complex journey to conceive. They may not be struggling to conceive because, of course, you know, there are more and more same-sex couples or single people who are using reproductive science to um, to have families and um, they might not have any form of fertility issue. But, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that the science will work for them first time, even if they've got no fertility issues. So, um, so you know there is and we're not afraid of exploring those difficult emotions that's very much what you know the the festival is and um you know there are many sort of trade shows and in fact I am uh, the the host of the Q&A stage at the biggest trade show in the UK which is a marvellous thing which is called um uh, the fertility show which is about if you want to go and you know choose a clinic and look at all the sort of options for you know for clinical support and um but, but our festival is about the emotional journey yeah. it's about the philosophical and societal issues around this um and and i suppose fest because i don't want it to 
I just don't, I, I want it to, to be a more sort of open, honest sort of conversation that whatever you're, because everybody has a fertility story. I mean, we were talking about this earlier before we um, went live, you know, everybody has a fertility story and, you know, there is sadness there, but whatever your story is, the important thing is that, that a fulfilling life comes out of it, you know, which, which may be a life without children, or it may be a, a life with children, but that you have to take a different route, which is, you know, adoption or fostering or donation or surrogacy, um, or, you know, but that we can sort of have a, a, a sort of, a conversation that doesn't have to be that that allows for emotions and sadness but also doesn't sort of become it doesn't become a stigmatized conversation or a, a secret conversation that is being had over there by some sad people who haven't been able to get what you know what what normal people you know worthy people get you know which is this thing which we all think is a human you know right which is to have our own babies so um so yeah so that's sort of um uh, what you what we're trying to do there and the, the, the sort of critical thing about it is it's anchored by artists so it's about artists and their work around this multifaceted subject in dialogue with fertility professionals and patients and the public um and artists because you know, obviously, I come from a, um, a, a creative background, running a theatre, and I've become a writer myself now. Um, but I just think that they are brilliant at exploring the emotions and stories and issues. Um, and also, it creates a real level playing field with the fertility professionals because, sort of, in the in the surgery you know, as patients, we're often very vulnerable um, because this doctor holds our happiness in their hands. But in, in and, and also to some extent in the trade shows, you know, when we're going around and thinking which clinic, which doctor is going to give me this thing. But within the fertility fest environment, then then we're all on a laying, level playing field. And, and to some extent, the doctors are on the back foot because it's not the science world, it's the arts world. And there's just something about that alchemy that works really, really well. And uh, we've only done it once. I mean, like we did it in a really small way in 2016 and like everybody said, like, you've got to bring it back. And then we spent the whole year of last year securing funding and venues. And yeah, it's coming back in May. It's going to be a week-long programme, 150 artists and experts, 40 events. Um, it's madness madness it's wonderful it's just such a safe space you've created I think to have those conversations because I think as, you, as we, we've discussed earlier these are things that we didn't even talk about you know with close friends or, or even a lot of family members so this is lovely that you've created I think the fertility fest has said it you know the celebration term wasn't quite right but it is a lovely no, it is, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah but like but, but also um you know what's beautiful, Tasha, because we haven't we, we only met briefly online yesterday for the first time, but it really feels that you sort of understand. And um, I do think there is something wonderful about um, uh, like people who are. I was having this conversation with someone earlier today about sort of people in this field. You know, they they genuinely 
like really good people and they've struggled and they've been through pain and um and, and I think you describing it as a safe space which you know you've chosen um you know take the words out of my mouth because that's exactly what it is it is it's it's a space where you can come in and you're with people who understand it's like walking into a big hug hopefully yeah um, and yeah, and, and also, you know, the really important thing to stress is that I am a co-director with a, a wonderful woman called Gabby Vautier, who is the other side of um, fertility treatment to me. So she has IVF toddler twins after four rounds of treatment. Um, and, and I always say when we give speeches, you know, um, that we share more than what separates us. Because even though she got her miracle family and I didn't, we absolutely both know what it is to struggle to conceive. And she went through four rounds of IVF. Um, and so we, we're much more, you know, similar in a way than, than, than me with someone who chose not to have children, yeah. who actively never wanted to have children in their life, you know, who, who I, who I'm tended to be sort of lumped with because I haven't got children, but actually, no, I'm much more like mothers because that's what I wanted to be. And, you know, and in, in some respects, I, I am a mother to the, the 11 rounds of IVF that I went through to conceive the child that never ended up being here, you know, mm -hmm. but that metaphorical child um, is there somewhere in the background, if that, if that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, anyone who's been through this journey, I think anyone who's listening who's been through the journey would, would resonate with that as well. Because even though, as you said, um, your co-founder, obviously she's, she's now has her children, but she didn't know when that was going to happen. So you were both going through the same things because I think with this, you don't know, is it going to be 18 months, 12 months, six years? You, there is no finite number to it. And when you're in that, no matter how long or short that time is, it's, it's painful. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. You're, the, the, the hell of it is you don't know how it's going to end yeah. when you're in it. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know how it's going to end. And crucially, you don't know if you're going to be okay if it doesn't end the way that you want it to. Yeah. And that's the thing that is really hard to live with. Because you feel as if, well, if I can't get this thing, well, do I even want this life? You know, because, because I do think also having a family, and also, of course there are many ways to have a family and many types of family, but it's, it is a, a human instinct, you know, in the same way as it is to reproduce, you know, but to, to be, in a in a sort of clan, you know, with with pe the people that are related to you, you know, is is, is something. And you know, I think human connection is is really important to human ha happiness. And you know, not always comes through family. I think human connection can come in different ways. But I think family is a, a, a often a good shortcut to that, and that's why it's so important. And if you don't get it like that, then you have to really work hard to get it in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that, like what you you've created is giving people a space to do that, to make those connections, to to be in a safe space, to talk about these issues without feeling the shame and the guilt that often goes goes with it. And I think you know both of us have come through these things. My, my journey was obviously relatively short. I don't like to talk about mine in relation to it too much because I now have my beautiful children, um, similar to your co-director, and I, I guess that's why I became passionate about you know, conceive baby and bring, you know, experts to people because I was a naturopath, my husband was a cardiologist, we, we had all the information at our fingertips to be able to, you know, get ourselves into a position where we were able to conceive. So our journey was relatively short because we had access to all of that. So I became passionate about giving other people access to all of that, um, same as you have um, through your journey through through the arts. So, so when are you coming to Australia is all I want to know. <laughs> Well, wow, it's funny that you asked that because there is a we've had a lot of interest in fertility best and the work and the work and there is a tiny possibility that we might be going international and who knows we may even be coming to Australia. That sounds optimistic. I think I'm going to hang on to that. <laughs> who knows? Watch this space. You will be the first to know, I promise. Definitely. Keep us posted. It's, it's really exciting. And congratulations on all the exciting things you're doing. The Fertility Fest, your book launch is happening, your Woman of the Week um, in Stylist Magazine. It's just, you know, congratulations on everything you've achieved for the industry, for yourself personally, and for other people who are struggling. And because anything you'd like to leave anyone with who may be struggling uh, with a similar thing tonight, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I'll just say when you were just giving that little lit roll call of things, I thought <laughs> infertility could be that successful. Um, and, and all I would say is that, like, the really important thing is that I think one of the things that you feel when you're on this journey is that you're alone. And uh, you're not alone. This is happening in every town, you know, in every country throughout the world. Um, infertility is affecting or subfertility is affecting one in six people and this is this is normal and just the fact that it's it's not understood or talked about enough yet um, is is why is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to go through and and the other thing is that I suppose my final sort of message would be that there are many routes to parenthood and you know, if the route that you're on doesn't work, there are other routes to look at, um, including mothering in the world without being a parent. But I also genuinely think but you have to do the work around this because obviously this is a pain that is deep, is that you can have a fulfilling life without children too. Yeah. And life is poor. And who knows, you know, like in 100 years' time, Tasha, no one's going to know whether we were parents or not. You or I were parents or not, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, it's what we do in the world and the impact that we make on other people in the world, whether they're our children or not, that that is our ultimate legacy. Um, and so that's what I would say. And you certainly are achieving all that and more. You're making an incredible difference. It's lovely to see you being applauded for that and, and getting this, this award. Um, so you do send over the interview. I'd love to see the article. Oh, when it's, um, yeah. published. 
All right. And so thank you so much for being with us today, tonight, well, tonight here in Melbourne, obviously uh, um, 11 a.m. over there in uh, the UK. But I know this is a very busy time for you particularly because Fertility Fest is coming up. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak to us today. So it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you thank very much. So thank uh-huh. you. So, bye. So, thanks all for joining us. Um, it's been such a wonderful to have this discussion. I know this is probably a deviation from some of the more um, clinical discussions that we have, um, but it's just great to to know that there are other people out there and things like Fertility Fest, which is hopefully coming to Australia as well, um, that are, there are out there to support you through this journey uh, where it often is lacking so you aren't alone. And if you did want more information on alternative pathways to pregnancy, um, obviously, um ways to support your journey, improve your egg health, improve your uterine health or anything to do with fertility, um, jump over to conceivebaby.com.au where you can listen to the podcast and the webinar series. Or if you're looking for more personal support uh, through your fertility journey, um, jump over to tashajennings.com.au where we can help you on your personal journey. I look forward to joining you next time. See you for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Conceive Baby podcast. To help you move forward on your journey to pregnancy, I've created your free fertility checklist for you. This checklist provides simple swaps you can make that can have a significant impact on your chances of conceiving and carrying your healthy baby. So be sure to head to conceivebaby.com.au forward slash checklist to download your free fertility checklist today.